For our text this morning, we'll continue reading from Matthew 18. We'll go verses 21 to 35. She takes us to the end of the chapter. Titled, The Parable of the Unforgiving Servant. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. After the sermon, we'll sing from hymn 46, stanza one, and four, one through four. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning as we open God's word, we're going to look at one of the kingdom of heaven parables. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells a total of 10 of these parables because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is a central part of his message. It's impossible to read through the gospel of Matthew and not pick up on the fact that the kingdom of heaven is a foundational part of the ministry of Jesus. But one of the things that you sometimes notice when talking with Christians today is that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is talked about in an abstract way. The kingdom can be talked about as if it's something that we're looking forward to, as if it's something that we, we, we will experience. But that's not the way kingdom is spoken of in the word of God. The word talks about the kingdom of heaven as a present reality. Paul talks about how God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. The kingdom is a present reality and so we cannot talk about our lives as something separate from the kingdom. In fact, the hard truth that Jesus is bringing home in this parable today is that our lives, how we live, how we treat others, our lives are actually an indicator of which kingdom we are living for. The truth is that kingdom citizens are different because our lives are reflective of the king we serve. 
Our lives are ultimately reflective of where our hearts are. Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The good news of Jesus Christ calls us to a different way of living, even in the most profoundly difficult aspects of our lives. Verse 13 from Colossians 3, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against anyone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness is perhaps the hardest thing that God calls us to do. But forgiving is not an optional component of the Christian faith. You see, forgiveness forms the very heart of the Christian faith. This morning we'll focus on that with the theme, Forgive as God Forgave You. We'll begin by considering the extent of God's forgiveness. Immediately before our passage in Matthew 18, in the verses 15 to 20, Jesus has laid out how Christians should deal with fellow Christians who have committed sin. And specifically, Jesus has laid out the process of how you deal with someone who continues to live in sin. Someone who is not repentant. Someone who's not seeking forgiveness. Now, Peter has presumably been reflecting on this. And in verse 21, he approaches Jesus because he wants some clarity on how he should deal with someone who does seek forgiveness. He says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And it's easy here to look at Peter and to say, well, why would you place a number on it? That seems like a shallow approach to forgiveness. But that's actually not being fair to Peter. Because Peter's question actually shows that he understood that Jesus was calling them to a radically new and different perspective on forgiveness. You see, within Peter's context, the norm, according to Jewish literature, was that you were obligated to forgive someone three times. So Peter was actually proposing something pretty extreme, because he knew from Jesus' own teachings that Jesus wanted his followers to go above and beyond in the way that they dealt with others. Peter understood this. So he's asking Jesus, if I double the norm and I throw in a freebie, is that enough? Is that a radical enough perspective on forgiveness? Peter wanted to be gracious, but here's the problem. Here's the problem with Peter, and here's the problem with us. Before we can even begin to talk about what we ought to do for others, we need to start by reflecting on what God has done for us. A true heart of forgiveness is shaped not by first giving grace, but a heart of forgiveness is shaped by experiencing grace. And this is the point Jesus wants to make. So he says, no, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus says, Peter, you're not even close. You're way off the mark. You're not grasping the extent of how much you need to forgive others because you're not grasping the extent of how much you've been forgiven by God. So to illustrate this point, Jesus tells this parable of the unmerciful servant. And Jesus explains, beginning in verses 23 and 24, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, thanks to our friends at Google, we're able to determine that a talent of gold weighed around 33 kilograms. 
As of Wednesday, the price of gold was $55,642.65 Canadian per kilogram. So one talent was about $1,836,207. When you multiply that by 10,000, well, you get a huge number. Over $18 billion. Here's another way to look at it. At the time of Jesus' ministry, we know one talent was worth more than 15 to 20 years of a laborer's wages. So this man owes more than 150 to 200,000 years worth of wages. It's an unimaginable amount of money. It's an astronomical debt. It's such a huge amount of money, we wouldn't even know how this man built up such a debt. The point is that his debt is insurmountable. And the unmistakable point Jesus was making to Peter, and the point that Jesus is making today, is that this servant is you. This servant is me. We have a debt of sins piled up beyond what we could ever imagine. And they just keep piling up. The gospel says that the reality of who we are by nature, the reality of our sin, has placed an unimaginably large barrier between us and God. On our own, we are that servant. And we stand hopeless and helpless before God. If you do not understand this part of the gospel, then you will not and you cannot understand the rest. We are that servant. And the helplessness of our situation means that all we can do is fall on our knees and beg for grace and mercy. And that's what this servant does. He falls to his knees, he grovels, he begs. But listen to what he now says. Be patient with me. Be patient, he says. Give me some time, I'll pay everything back. The words from his mouth suggest that this servant doesn't actually get the nature of his situation. Because the fact is that the king could give him a thousand lifetimes. He wasn't going to pay that debt. So the king could have been enraged by the servant's empty promises. He could have said, you're a liar. You and I both know you're never paying it back. But instead, he looks at this man groveling on his knees, and he takes pity on him. He cancels his debt. He lets him go. Think of how phenomenally gracious that is. This servant owes him billions, and the king says, it's okay. But we should never forget that all forgiveness comes at a cost. As one theologian puts it, God's grace and forgiveness, while free to the recipient, are always costly to the giver. From the earliest parts of the Bible, it was understood that God could not forgive without sacrifice. No one who is seriously wrong can just forgive the perpetrator. But when you forgive, that means you absorb the loss and the debt. You bear it yourself. All forgiveness, then, is costly. And the king was willing to personally suffer this loss. For the sake of his servant, he cancels the debt. This passage provides one of the clearest pictures of the gospel in all of Scripture. The message is clear. But the application and the implication of the message is hard. This part of the parable confronts us with three related questions. First is, do you understand the seriousness of sin? Are we actually examining ourselves? Is that part of our lives? If I ask you to reflect on your last week, how would you evaluate it? Would you be content there was no major sins this week? Do you feel okay as we gather today because this week was just a week of regular sin? 
Do we actually comprehend the fact that no sin is a little deal before God? The second question is, do we understand the cost? Because our debt was not just wiped out, it was paid. It was paid by Christ. God sent his son to pay that debt that we could never pay. And he paid with his son, not money but a life. Do we actually understand this cost? The cost Christ paid is the reason why you cannot be unmoved and unchanged by the gospel. Instead, you must be broken by the reality that God would love you and me enough to wipe out that debt, to include us in the kingdom. Our pride should be crushed. We should be driven by humility as we grasp the truth that Christ would pay the price for us. And the third question is, do we understand our own personal need for God's forgiveness? There's not a single human being who doesn't need it. And it's available to all who fall on their knees. It's available to all whose eyes are opened to the fact that they are completely helpless on their own. The gospel confronts us with the truth that each one of us needs to cry out for grace and mercy. And no one is beyond reach of grace and mercy. The fellow who owed 200,000 years of labor wasn't beyond it. There's not a person who comes into church today with a debt that God cannot forgive, a debt that Christ cannot pay. There's always forgiveness with God, and it's the extent of God's forgiveness towards us that impacts the forgiveness that we show others. So having begun by considering the extent of God's forgiveness, we'll now look at the impact of God's forgiveness. It's with the impact that this passage becomes extremely difficult. Because up until this point, the parable is really focused on the undeserved grace we receive from God. But now, now the focus turns onto how we, this translates into how we show grace to others. Jesus here is going to explain a clear gospel principle. Receiving grace and showing grace, they go together. Now I want to be clear, and this is one of the most difficult, that this is one of the most difficult principles of the Bible. It runs radically against everything that we naturally want. Our hearts seek bitterness, rage, anger, slander. That's what our hearts are full of. Ephesians 4, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. God calls his people to a different way of life. A hard life, a life where you do things contrary to what you want to do. That's only possible when you've been impacted, changed, renewed, regenerated by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Everything we do, everything we are, flows out of the grace of God. It flows out of the love of Christ toward us. It flows out of his Holy Spirit that dwells in us. It all comes back and it always comes back to the grace of God. If you don't truly understand how much you've been forgiven, you will not be able to forgive others. And that truth is illustrated in a profound way as Jesus continues to tell the parable. We're told in verse 28 that this first servant, who has just been forgiven this insurmountable debt, he goes and he finds a fellow, a fellow servant who owes him 100, silver, 100 denarii, 100 silver coins. We should notice something about this first servant. He doesn't stumble across the other man. He doesn't 
bump into him while he's crossing town. No, he's just experienced this tremendous grace from the king, and what does he do? He immediately turns, leaves, seeks out and finds someone who owes him. He seeks out a man who owes him 100 silver coins. Now, a silver coin or denarii was typically about a day's wages. So he's seeking out a man who owes him about four months' wages. Not a small amount, but comparatively, comparatively, it's nothing compared to the grace that he has just received. This first servant should have left the king's court dancing with joy. This should have been the happiest, gracious, most transformed individual in town. I mean, imagine if you woke up tomorrow morning and a lady from the credit union drops by your house and says, oh, by the way, we've decided to forgive your mortgage. Don't worry about it. You don't owe us a thing. Wouldn't you just be overwhelmed with joy? And what the first servant received is so much more significant than that. But this servant goes and finds his debtor, grabs him by the neck and begins to choke him and says, pay me what you owe me. There's a violence and a wickedness in this first servant that's hard to comprehend. And he shows by his actions that he has not been transformed by grace. The mercy of the king had no impact on this man. Because the second servant falls to his knees and begs for time, just like the first servant had done. He begs for just a little bit of time and he'll pay it back. Please, he says, be patient. And the fact is that with time, he probably could have paid it back. It wasn't an insurmountable debt. It could have been paid. And if anyone should have been patient, it would have been this first servant. If anyone, it should have been him. But instead, he throws the other man in jail until he can pay the debt. It's an incredible act of injustice. But the injustice is brought to the attention of the king, and the unmerciful servant is brought before the king. The king says to him, you wicked servant, I canceled all this debt of yours because you pleaded with me. Notice, it's not because you asked for patience. It's not because you said you'd pay everything back. The king knew that would never happen. He says, because you begged, I had mercy. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Hear the words of the king. There was an expectation of transformation. The radical manner in which he received grace should have led to a radical manner of showing grace. Instead, he showed no appreciation for grace at all. He was given the greatest gift one could possibly imagine, a gift that could have changed his entire life. And yet, instead of living a life of thanks, he remains hardened in his sin, filled with wickedness, rejecting the grace of the king. That wickedness will not be tolerated, and it's not tolerated by the king. The punishment for mocking the grace of the king is severe. And the warning that Jesus gives through this parable is severe. He tells us that this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Being a kingdom citizen looks like something. There's a change in your heart that's reflective of the king you serve. And practically speaking, that must impact our relationships. It means that if you're here today and you know that you're guilty of offending anyone, then you need to come to your knees and admit your sin before God and those you've offended. True forgiveness is only possible with true repentance. Your sin is never a small thing. 
It's never right because of what someone else did to you. It's never right because of circumstances. God never treats any sin as if it's a little deal. When you truly understand the seriousness of sin, then you don't approach the person you've offended and act as if you can somehow make things right, as if you can pay it back. When you've sinned and hurt someone, you need to accept the fact that true repentance is a repentance without expectation. It's a genuine conviction of sin. It's falling to your knees, knowing that all you can do is ask for grace and mercy. But I want to also say that if you're someone here today who has been offended by others, your calling is to remember the magnitude of what God has done for you. Because all of us are offenders before him. All of us. And the price that Christ paid for our forgiveness was no small thing. And that has to impact the way that we forgive others. Saying we forgive someone isn't sufficient. We need to live out this forgiveness. Our calling is to forgive as God forgave us. Forgiveness means you no longer dwell on the incident. You no longer bring it up or use it against someone. You don't gossip about it to others. Forgiveness is such a hard thing. It's such an incredibly hard thing to do, but it's a mark of kingdom citizens. It shows a world around us that the grace of God will not just change our lives for eternity, but God's grace, the power of Jesus Christ, the life-changing work of the Spirit, that will already begin to change who we are today. It all comes back to the grace of God towards sinners. Forgive as God forgave you. Amen. We'll sing hymns for.